Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we come now to this time of opening your word, it is a time of worship that we, we come not just to sing your praises, not just to give thanksgiving to you, but also, Lord, to take time to hear from you, to hear what you want to tell us. So, Lord, today, open our hearts to hear that message. And, Lord, give me the, the power. Guide me in delivering that message to your people. Lord, bless this time, I pray. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Galatians. Galatians chapter 4. <clears throat> this morning we'll be looking at verses 21 through 31. 21 through 31. At least I, I hope we'll may get through it. I'm, I'm not so sure. We may have to get halfway through it this morning. As Jason said there earlier, it's a, quite the passage. It's a long passage. It's got a lot of stuff. So I'm prepared to stop uh, somewhere in the midst of it if we need to. Galatians 4, 21, 31. Uh, today we're looking at persisting in faith. Persisting in faith. You know, higher goals are only achieved through persistence in the face of adversity. There was a young man who was a fairly good runner, a decent runner. He ran on a normal basis, maybe three times a week. And he had ran a, a few uh, 5Ks along the way. That's 3.1 miles. Uh, and... Along came a time where he decided, you know, I want to shoot for a higher goal. I want to shoot for a slightly higher goal. I want to run a half marathon. Now, a half marathon, that's 10 miles more, 13.1 miles. That's considerably more than, than three miles. And so that's a, quite a, a lofty goal. You, you, have to, you can't just go out on the street and take off running and expect to run a full 13.1 miles. If you really want to run the race and finish the race, you have to take time of preparation. You have to take time of training. And so he set his mind on this lofty goal, this goal of running this, this half marathon. Of course, that required for him to extend his training. Instead of running three days a week, he had to begin to, to stretch that out to five days a week. Five days a week of running, running, running. And no longer could he be satisfied with just running two or three miles on those training days. Now he had to stretch those miles little by little, little by little, little by little, until he finally got to the climax there to the goal of being able to run 13.1 miles. There were challenges along the way. There were mornings where when he got up and his legs were just completely tired, exhausted, and sore. He didn't feel like getting up and running, but he got up, he persisted, he got up, he ran, he went out and he ran, he trained. He persisted in his training because he wanted to accomplish the goal. There were days that he got up and it was pouring down rain. But yet, you can't stop running for rain if you want to accomplish your goal. So he took out in the rain, and he ran, and he ran, and he ran. He got blisters. But you can't stop for blisters. 
You just got to tape them up and keep on running. You see, to accomplish his goal, he had to persist through trials. He had to persist through the hardships. Dear friend, I want you to see today that is the same for us in faith. We have a lofty goal. We want to be in the kingdom of God. Now, it doesn't take hard work to get into the kingdom of God, but it does take persistence. It takes persisting in faith. If you want to see glory, if you want to enter God's kingdom, you must persist in faith. And Paul is teaching that to us today from this passage that we will be looking at. He is teaching us to persist in faith. He's he's saying here in this passage, persist in faith because only faith leads to God's eternal promise. Let me say that again. We are to persist in faith because only faith leads to God's eternal promise. So I hope to encourage you today that when persecutions come, when trials and temptations come, that you might persist in the faith that God has called you to. Now remember, as Paul is writing this letter, he is writing to a group of churches in Galatia. These were the first churches he established as a missionary going off on his first missionary journey. And he goes to Galatia, the region of Galatia. And he establishes these churches. And now false teachers have come in. And they're trying to draw people away from the faith. They're trying to draw them away from the faith. They're teaching legalism. They're teaching that to be in in the kingdom, oh yeah, you've got to have faith, but you also have to have the law. You have to be obedient to the law. And Paul, as we have already talked about, he has been arguing against that. And he has laid out several arguments over and over again. He's left, left, uh, given us several arguments to show us, first of all, that justification, our right standing before God, comes by faith alone. Justification is by faith alone. He has also taught us that we are adopted. We are adopted into God's family. Our relationship with God changes through faith alone, not by works. And then last week we saw that Christian freedom, we are free in Christ through faith alone. And now on the tail end of that, Paul comes to this passage and he is making one final plea. One final plea before he enters into the next section of the book, which gets into the, the, the really heart of the, the practical application of the doctrine that he, is, he has been arguing to us. So this one final argument, and he gives this one final argument, uh, and in this one final argument, he, he brings us to the two offspring of Abraham, Isaac and Ishmael, and their mothers, Hagar and Sarah. Now why does he bring us here? Why does he conclude with this argument, taking us back to Abraham? Well, it's likely because the Judaizers who were coming, now these were Jews who were born under the law. They liked the law. They, they kind of liked Jesus too. They have kind of began to say, all right, well, Jesus is all right. Yeah, we'll have Jesus, but, but they want to hold on to the law. Right? And so they're bringing this to uh, uh, the Galatians. And most likely what has happened, the Galatians have 
been using, or the, the Judaizers have been using a similar argument to argue their case against Paul. And what the Judaizers have been saying, they've been saying, yes, look, all the way back to Genesis. Go back to Genesis. Go back to Abraham. See Abraham? See, Abraham, he had two sons. He had Isaac, the child of the promise, the father of Israel. And he had Ishmael, the father of the Arab nations, the father of the Gentiles. Right? And so see, it's even from the very beginning God has shown us if you want to be in the kingdom, then you've got to be a Jew. You've got to come under the Jewish law. You have to be circumcised. You have to observe our dates and our our festivals and our feasts and all of these things. If you really want to be a child of the promise, you've got to follow the line of Isaac and you've got to come under the law. Otherwise, you're a child of Ishmael. You're a child of the Gentiles, a child of the flesh. And so they have set out this argument. Now Paul, he's coming, and here in this last argument, he is going to defend the doctrine of justification by faith alone by tearing down the Judaizers' argument. And so this morning as we go through it, I normally read the text up front because it is a longer passage, and because of the flow of the text, I want to just work through it this morning. So we begin to work through it now. Let's begin to look at this. And the first thing that Paul does as he's going down through the text, the first thing he does is he gives the historical context. He lays out the historical context that he is about to get into, the example that he is about to, to give to the people of Galatia. And look what it says there. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? He's asking this question. You guys, you want to come under the law? I mean, I preach freedom to you, but now you want to come under the law? Well, just listen. Just listen for a moment what the law really says. For it is written that Abraham had two sons. He had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. Now, the slave woman was Hagar. She was the slave of Sarah. So one was born by the slave woman and the other one by the free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now when we think about that, what is Paul talking about there? He is referring back to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, that's where it all begins. In Genesis chapter 15, God comes to Abraham, and he's Abram at that time, and he comes to Abraham, he's already brought him out of Ur of the Chaldees, and he has brought him to the land of Canaan, the land of promise. And Abraham has been there for a little while, but now God comes to him, and he says to him, Abraham, I am, or Abram, I am your shield, your reward shall be very great. But Abraham looks at God and says, God, but... What are you going to give me? What can you give me? I'm I'm here. I'm in this land you have promised to me and my offspring, but I'm still childless. I have no son. And Eleazar, my servant Eleazar of Damascus, he's going to inherit all that I have. What can you give me? And God says, look, Abraham, I want you to come outside with me. Come outside with me. Let's go outside. Look up at the stars, Abraham. Look at the stars. 
Count them if you can. So shall your offspring be. He says, I'm going to do it. Yeah, you don't have an offspring now. You don't have a child now. But I'm going to give you an offspring. In fact, I'm going to give you such offspring that you can't even count them. The Scripture says Abraham believed God. He had faith in God's promise. And God counted his faith as righteousness. Abraham didn't do anything but believe. He didn't do any work. He didn't do anything to please God other than believe in God's promise and God counted his faith as righteousness. Well, time marched on. And in Genesis chapter 16, we get to a time after, I don't know how long it's been. Who knows how long it's been? It's been a little while. Still no offspring. No child to take on the inheritance. And so, Sarah, she's she's thinking, well, here I am. I'm barren, I'm old, I'm barren. I'm way way beyond the the time of of bearing children. I've never had a child, never been pregnant. So, you know, God needs help. If God's going to fulfill this promise, oh, she believed God. But she said, if God's going to fulfill this promise, then we're going to have to help him out, Abraham. We're going to have to help God out. He needs our help here. And so here's what you do, Abram. You you take my slave woman, Hagar, this Egyptian slave woman she picked up in Egypt. You take Hagar, and here's what you do. You go in and you make Hagar your wife. And she can be kind of a surrogate for me, and, and we'll just have our children through Hagar. And so Abram goes into Hagar. She conceives. And she gives birth to Ishmael. So Ishmael is a child of Abraham. But notice how Ishmael is born. He is born according to the flesh. God can't do this. We don't trust God to do this. We've got to take matters into our own hand. We've got to do it by the way of man. We've got to do it by the way of the world. We've got to do it by the way of the flesh. So you take care of business with Hagar and she can have your offspring But what happened? It says that Hagar began to treat Sarah with contempt. And because of her contempt, Sarah repaid it with just meanness. She got mean towards Hagar. Started treating her poorly, started treating her badly. You see, man's way leads to, to this, this conflict in the home. They want to, they, they're pursuing God's promise, but they want to pursue it by man's way. They want to follow man's way of doing things, and it brings contempt, it brings hatred, it brings conflict into the house. Isn't that the way man's way, isn't that what man's way always leads to? When we step aside from God's way, when we pursue man's way, the way of the flesh, it brings conflict. It brings problems. Time marches on again. And it's not long until God comes to Abram again. And he tells Abram, he says, Abram, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come for her. 
But then Abram, he says, he, he fell down on his face and he laughed. And he looked up at God and he said, but, but God, she's old, I'm old, we're too old for this, we've already taken care of it, here is Ishmael, why don't you just, pray, why don't you just bless Ishmael? He can be the child of the promise, but God says, no. That's the way of the flesh. But my way is the way of the promise. My way is not the way that you get honor and glory. God says my way is the way that gives me honor and glory. The, my way is the one that exalts me, not you. So God says, God said to Abram, No, but Sarah... Your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. You see, dear friends, there's two ways that we can live life. We can live life man's way, the way of the flesh, or we can live life God's way. The way of promise. The way of faith. We can trust man's way of getting things done. We can trust man's way of what, what brings us joy and happiness in life. We can pursue man's way to, to reach all of our desires. Or we can pursue God's way. The way of faith the way of trusting in the Lord for His guidance, for His grace, for His treasures. I wonder which way you're choosing today. So there are two ways in which one can live. One can pursue man's way, which leads to conflict which leads to sorrow and heartbreak in the end, or one can choose God's way, the way of promise. As the text continues on there, Abraham moves from laying out the, the historical context into the allegorical interpretation. The allegorical interpretation. Verse 24 says, Now this uh, may be interpreted allegorically. Now what does he mean there, that it can be interpreted allegorically? Uh, Paul is, all, all that Paul is doing here, he is engaging in what's called biblical theology. He is pulling out a type. Uh, that is, throughout the Old Testament, the Old Testament is given to us in historical narrative. It tells stories. It's actual, real, historical stories, events that really happened, but, but they're told in a way to communicate a spiritual truth to us. And when you began to look into the Old Testament, you began to see certain patterns starting to repeat themselves. And when you start to see those certain patterns, you can start seeing types, types of things coming out. They're, they're examples of a greater spiritual truth. For example, King David is a type of Jesus Christ. King David is a type of Jesus Christ. For example... When King David, as a young little shepherd boy, he goes to the front lines of the battle and he finds the people of Israel oppressed by this undefeatable giant, Goliath. 
The people of Israel can't do anything against him. They cannot defeat him. He is undefeatable in their sight. They can do nothing against Goliath. They're held at bay against Goliath. But here comes King David, scrawny King David. He's just a, a young lad who's been out in the field taking care of his father's flocks. And here he comes in, and he doesn't do things man's way. Right? He doesn't come in and, and put on armor and all of that. He tried it, but it didn't fit, so he took it off. But he looked at this giant, he says, how can you blaspheme the name of God? And he goes out, not man's way, not by the way of the flesh, but he goes out in faith, trusting in God's deliverance. And with a, a, a rock and, and a sling... He hurls one stone that blow, takes a final, delivers a, final, a fatal blow to Goliath and he crushes the enemy of God's people. Oh, don't you see Jesus Christ in that? That's exactly what King Jesus did. King Jesus came to this earth and, and he had no appearance of, of glory that we should love him or behold him. He was looked like nothing, just a common, ordinary man. Yet Jesus Christ went to Calvary's cross and he defeated the enemy, sin and death, that kills us, that conquers God's people. He went and faced the enemy. He defeated the enemy on Calvary's cross and he showed that he defeated by raising himself from the dead. You see the type? Jesus is a type of, or David is a type of Jesus, a type of Christ. And we see that. And Paul is doing that very thing and in, in interpreting this, this whole episode in the Old Testament allegorically. He sees a type. And he begins to lay that type out for us. Notice what he says there. These women, these two women, are two covenants. He gets into this uh, list of, of four twos, four pairs. These women are two covenants. There are two covenants. Now we know that there's two covenants that God gives. There's a covenant of works and there's the covenant of grace. We've talked about that already. You know, it's significant that our Bible is divided into two testaments or two covenants. We have the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, that is primarily about the law. The law of Moses, the Mosaic Covenant, where God said, Do these laws, Israel, my people, and I will be your God. You will be my people, and you will live long in the land. Do them, live by them, and live. But then there's the New Testament, and the New Testament is all about the promise. It's actually a, a renewal of the old promise that God gave to Abraham. That Abraham believed in and God counted as righteousness. So there's two covenants. There's two ways to do things. There's the way of the law and there's the way of the promise. So these two women are two covenants. One is Mount Sinai bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. Now, if you are, uh, you, you've got a map in your mind, and say, wait a minute, uh, I, know where, uh, I know where Sinai is. It's down there in the Sinai Peninsula. And, and Arabia, well, that's over here at Saudi Arabia. How's that work? Well, in Paul's time, Arabia swung all the way around. The territory of Arabia swung all the way around and included part, it included the Sinai Peninsula. So Sinai, in Paul, 
Paul's day was in Arabia. So Hagar, she's Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds then to the present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children. Now think about that. Think about this comparison. Think about this type that Paul is working out for us. Here's Hagar. She's a woman of slavery, born into slavery. She lives under the rules of Abraham's household. Do them and live. She has to to be obedient to her master or else she, she doesn't live. She's thrown out. She's cast away. Do them or live. She is a slave. And even though Ishmael is born, he is a son of Abraham, he is born through the slave woman. Therefore, Ishmael is born into slavery. He is a slave. Not a child of promise. And Paul, he's making that comparison. He says, look, this is exactly what happened at Sinai. Oh yes, the, the, the law was, it was established by God's grace and grace brought them out of Egypt, but the law is a law of works. The, the covenant of law is a covenant of works. It was a national covenant. It was all about Israel staying in the land of Canaan. And God said, do these things. We've already seen this earlier in Galatians. The law says, do this and live. Do this and live long in the land, just like a slave. Do this and live. And of course, we know Israel did not do that. They did not follow the law. They failed to follow the law. And God exiled them. He took them out of the land. He cast them aside. The new, the Jerusalem in Paul's day corresponds. They were under the law. They were enslaved to the law. They were still trying to do this and live. And they continued to fail in their obedience. But it says there, but the Jerusalem above is free. And she is our mother, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those who, uh, who, that one who has a husband. Paul then turns the page, but here's an alternative. Here's the alternative. But we're not of the the present Jerusalem, the earthly Jerusalem, the fleshly Jerusalem. We're of the the heavenly Jerusalem. The Mount Sinai that is above. The one that will descend when Christ returns and descend down upon this earth. The, the, The kingdom of God which is in heaven. That's our home. That's the, the people we are. That's where our citizenship belongs. And the new Jerusalem is the children of the the free woman of Sarah. The free woman who was barren but rejoiced when God gave her Isaac. 
She was barren, and people looked at her in shame, but that changed, and she rejoiced. It says, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one, Sarah, will be more than those of the one who has a husband through uh, Hagar. He says, You're not children of slavery. But your children are the promise. You see, there's two ways to live. We can live man's way, the way of the flesh, or we can live God's way, the way of faith. Now, the way of the flesh leads to slavery. The way of the promise leads to freedom. The way of the flesh, the way of man, leads to slavery. But the way of God, the way of faith, leads to to life and freedom in Jesus Christ. You think about a drug user. A drug user is promised Joy, happiness, right? You, you, you get the drug pusher, the drug seller, he comes in and says, oh, but, but look, try this, try this, try. You need to try this. This is going to bring you happiness. It's going to make you feel so good. And, and it's just going to make everything uh, happen for you. It's going to be great. Take it. You're going to love this stuff. Seek your joy in this and see what happens. And so the, the person, the man or the woman, they take the drugs, they ingest the drugs, and whoo, man, oh, it feels so good. It feels great. It feels wonderful. They're on cloud nine. Oh, they feel great. Oh, yes. Oh, feel the joy and the wonder and oh, how great it is. But then it comes down. And the low is much lower than the high ever would be. They need more. They need more. So they go back to the drug dealer. Give me more. Give me more. Give me more. And they take more. And they take more. Oh, and it brings them up for a little bit. It, it gives them that, uh, that wonderful feeling for a little bit. But then they come back down. And they need more. And they need more. And they need more. And they become addicted to the drug. You see, they become a slave to the drug. You see, that's the way of man. And the way of man leads to slavery. The way of the flesh leads to slavery. It's not just drugs. You take pornography. Pornography, uh, the world says it's good, it's great, it's wonderful. You just go click and and it's everywhere today, right? It's just everywhere. You can get to it easy, no problem. And and we have a a, a pornographic epidemic in America right now because it's so accessible. And it promises joy. It promises you to feel good. It promises all of these wonderful things. But men, as you go in there and as you click and you look, your brain begins to release chemicals and it brings this wonderful feeling for you for a moment. 
And your body gets addicted to that chemical that's released by looking at those pictures, those images. Scientists have studied this and proven this. And so what, do you ha- what happens? You, you go away from your computer and you begin to think about what's on the computer. Oh, I need to get back. I need to get back. I need to get back. Click, click, click. There, there's more chemical release, more chemical release. You get that feeling again and then you go away. But then you're growing back. You need to go back. You need more of the chemical. And men are becoming uh, addicted to pornography because of that. They need more of it, more of it, more of it. And then what happens is that natural process of of chemical being released when you're looking at those pictures, men, when you go into your spouse who doesn't look like the airbrushed images that you're you're viewing on your computer screen, and she's there. But now you can't be intimate with her because the chemicals aren't being released. You become addicted. You become a slave to images on a screen. And it's brought conflict, heartache into your house. It works with anything else. You want to find joy and happiness and and all the good happy feelings in in your, your career which leads to to being a workaholic where you spend all your time doing your job getting in there building a kingdom for yourself and and you you climb the ladder climb the ladder climb the ladder and there's always one other notch you could go another little spot you could go a rich man filthy rich man someone asked him how much money is enough he said one dollar more You see, the way of man, the way of the flesh, it leads to slavery. Whatever it is, whether it be drugs and alcohol, pornography, work, hobbies, whatever it is that we seek to find joy and happiness in, uh, that is the way of the world, the world's definition of joy and happiness, it leads to slavery. There's a world of people around us who are enslaved to the things of the flesh because they're pursuing man's way rather than pursuing God's way. Dear friend, where are you today? God's way is the way of faith. And the way of faith leads to righteousness. Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 22 says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. You see, you can seek pleasure, you can seek joy, you can seek happiness in the things of this world and never find them. But God says, trust me. Trust me. I know what's good for you. I know what will bring you joy. I know what will bring you happiness. And I sent my son Jesus Christ to die on the cross to give you freedom from the way of the flesh so that you might have life and joy and happiness in me. 
Dear friend, how are you living today? Are you pursuing man's way? Enslaved to the things of the flesh? Do you find yourself trapped in worldly things? Seeking pleasure in the things of this world rather than seeking pleasure in Jesus Christ? God offers you freedom today. You'll trust in Jesus. Trust in God's promise. Seek Him and discover freedom. Heavenly Father, Lord, we have all struggled at one time or the other trying to, to seek joy, seek fulfillment in the things of this world and always seeing that no matter what we do, no matter how far we push, there's always something more pulling us on, pulling us on. But Lord, You promise us complete joy, complete peace, complete rest, complete satisfaction in Your promise. Oh Father, let us abandon man's way and let us seek with all our hearts Your way. Lord, I know there's some today, they're struggling. They're here and they feel enslaved to something. They're enslaved to something. Whether it be a habit, whether it be uh, drugs and alcohol, whether it be pornography, whether it be a job, whether it be uh, whatever, a hobby, whatever. They're feeling trapped. They're feeling enslaved. They're feeling the burden of it on their lives. It's causing problems at home. And Lord, they don't know what to do. They need to break free. Lord, let them turn to You today. Seek You. Come, Lord Jesus, I pray. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.